actually going to be, we're starting a four-week series called Anticipating Easter, and we're going to be looking throughout the Old Testament, uh, and today is, is going to be a, a big overview of the start. We're going to look at Genesis 1 through 3 this morning as, as we spend some time anticipating and pursuing Jesus together. We've talked about our fast, we've talked about our time of prayer, uh, we've talked about uh, the chosen nights. All of these are designed so that, Lord willing, each of us will be confronted with the reality of Jesus over and over and over again. I know one of my big desires in our fast this last week, it was centered around rebuilding and growing in intimacy with Jesus. I don't know how many of you guys participate. I'm going to do something a little bit daring, and this isn't to make anybody feel guilt or shamey, but how many of you guys participated in the fast this last week in some way, shape, or form? Awesome. Uh, that's great. That's amazing. We're doing it together. But it was really fun to listen through. We had a number of stories coming from people like, this was awful, uh, that being the fast, or it was really hard, or we heard from others like, oh, I fasted from food, but I wasn't very intentional. Or, yeah, I made it through. And then we heard from others. It was like, oh, my gosh, my time with Jesus was just so amazing, and it was rich, and all of these things. And maybe you fell into one of those categories, but I'm guessing the majority of us, because fasting's not a muscle that we've built up strong, it was probably pretty challenging. Sure, you might have made it until you broke fast with your community group or broke fast eating that meal. But perhaps it was hard to orient yourself to turn and focus in on your relationship with Jesus. If that was you, don't worry. We have three more opportunities uh, to continue to grow in our discipline of fasting. And if you didn't jump in last week, we invite you, jump in. It's a discipline that the Lord invites us to practice. Uh, and we're excited to do so as we want to grow in intimacy with God. As you'll see today, the God who created the heavens and the earth has made a way to now dwell with you and I. He is present whether or not you like it or not. The question is, do we desire to grow in our intimacy with him? So this morning, uh, as we get into God's word, and again, this is just going to be a, a quick beginning space for us. We're going to take the next three weeks to do this as well. We're going to recognize, like Nicole shared, that the story of God is really one big story. All of Scripture, this entire book, tells of God's redemption plan, one in which he is the hero, receives all the glory, and we as his sons and daughters are redeemed and brought into right relationship with him. But if we're to, to grasp the true good news of the gospel, if, we're to try, if we are to actually embrace it, we have to understand that the gospel is not simply the life of Jesus. It is a bigger picture, a bigger story to that, one in which God had planned from the beginning. So when we look at first, excuse me, when we look at Genesis 1 through 2, we start at the beginning because this is the spot. Really, the first three chapters of Genesis frame the rest, the entirety of Scripture, and honestly, the rest of history are framed in Genesis 1 and 2. It's this cosmic battle between God and the sons of God versus the prince and power of the air. So, Feel free to open up your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to focus in on a few verses, but have it open as we're going to kind of skim through some of the things 
that happened. And, and one of the things that's so important is for us to understand the very first verse and the power that's there. What is there at the, what's the very first thing, the very first words in scripture? Shout them out. What are they? In the beginning, what? Did what? What? Like all of this. In the beginning, God eternally existed. Like legitimately, just look out even with the haze, the clouds, the sky, all that is around. God created this. Sometimes our lives can become so frantic that we do not slow down enough to look around and see and recognize, oh my gosh, God created all of this. Friends, sometimes we need to slow down a bit. But let's keep going. In the beginning, he, God created. And look, we see God in his words, the power that he has. He, he said, in the beginning, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. You and I think we're pretty powerful by hitting a switch and all of a sudden light comes on. What if you could just speak it and it happened? And light's just the beginning. Let there be an expanse. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered and let there be dry land. Let the earth bring forth vegetations, plants yielding seed and bearing fruit. And it was so. Let there be lights in the expanse. Let there be a sun in the sky that rules the day. Let there be a moon in the night that rules the night. And it was so and it was good. Then he creates animals in the sea and animals that roam the air and beasts of the earth. And it was all good. Then what did God make next? Out of all of those things, what did he make next? Any, anybody know? What was it, Ben? Humans? Who said that? Yeah. Humans. God made humans. And humans are unlike any other creation. Let's look at the text, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. This is known as the first commission. Friends, I can't get over how important this section of Scripture is, again, to help frame how we ought to engage and live our lives still today as we get to see God's heart and intention for creation as he created this world, this perfect world, without any sin at all. Then God said... Again, power of the words, God said it. Let us, again, we're not going to get into it in great detail. Let us, this is God in community, the Trinity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and that let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of man, excuse me, in the image of God, he created him. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful. This is what we said over Austin in many ways. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree and seed in its fruit. 
You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And what did he say? What did he say? It was very good. And there is evening and morning the sixth day. This, friends, is known as the first commission where God created us, the chief of his creation, in his own image to be like him and to be with him, to get to work, to be creative, and major participants in filling the earth and co-ruling it, male and female, with him together. As you move into chapter 2, chapter 2 continues to kind of fill this out a little bit more and tells us of uh, what exists in the Garden of Eden. And we've got these rivers, and then we've got this onyx and gold and all of these amazing materials. Again, he is equipping us to carry out the work in which he has called us to, humanity that is. But in chapter 2, we're, we're reminded of one thing that wasn't good, and that was for mankind to be alone. We were created to be in relationship together because we are made in his image, male and female. Male alone does not reflect the image of God. Female alone does not reflect the image of God. It's male and female, and ultimately in the new covenant, it's the church that is the manifold beauty. It's God's way of displaying Jesus to this world, both male and female. None of us are made to be alone. Of course, this season, this year has been tough as there probably is more loneliness that exists than ever before. And if you've ever felt lonely and you don't like it, that's because you weren't made to like being alone. We're made to be together with God and with one another. One of the other key important pieces that we see in Genesis 2 and verses 15 through 17 is we see God's clear command to Adam and Eve to not eat of this one tree. And if they do, they will surely die. So they're given full roam. They're given full right to to roam all over the garden to, to eat, to engage, to work the field, to garden the field, to till the land, to engage in God's work. There is no sin. There's these beautiful rivers running all throughout the land. Like it just seems like, you know, there's stockpiles of gold just like shimmering off the mountainsides. They've got onyx. They've got all of these resources at their fingertips. They've been given all they need to survive and thrive. But most importantly, they're in relationship with God. They're close with God. However, like we learned from Nicole, something happened. And in Genesis 3, we we get to see the serpent come on the scene. And now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, this is actually the same thing. Does this sound familiar? Where else does this language sound familiar in the New Testament? Anywhere? Anything come to mind? The temptation of Jesus, that's right. 
Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So... When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 8 for me personally is one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. For it's here in verse 8 where we see the comparison to the relationship in which they once had with God. To where they are now. They once had an open, an unashamed relationship. And, they, and then they heard, and this after sin comes in, they heard the sound of the Lord God in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what did they do? Instead of running to God, to be with God, they did the opposite. They hid and they covered from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And when the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Again, you hear the words of God, the same words that spoke light into existence. He knows where Adam and Eve are. You hear his words and almost anguish in his heart. Where are you? He replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man tries to pass the buck. The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You see, in this moment, Adam and Eve, they chose to reject God's words. And instead of trust him, they trust the serpent. One that tickled their ears and told them what they wanted to hear. Potentially gave them what they wanted. And so they chose to trust the serpent, the words of someone, not Yahweh. And in doing so, they rebelled against the one who created them. And they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And as a result, what happens? Sin enters the world hiding guilt and shame one of the biggest themes throughout scripture is and we've talked about much is shalom shalom is broken wholeness completeness peace is broken separation from god for the first time and as a result of their disobedience and rebellion they're put out of the garden
And you're left with this sense of what next? How can this be remedied? How can this be solved? And this is what all of Scripture is now going to launch off on. And this is why Miss Nicole was talking. This is the story of God. The Bible is a, it's the plan of Jesus, God's plan to send Jesus to restore, redeem, make whole. In fact, to restore things, not just like how they were in the garden, but actually the picture that we see in all throughout Scripture is that it's, it's not going to be a garden anymore. God's not building a garden. He's building a city that will be restored, renewed, strengthened. We'll talk about that later. This sin comes in, and sin is not trusting God. Sin is not obeying God's words. And sin is a separation between us and God. We see this in Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see that the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And praise God that we actually get the first glimpse of a Redeemer in Genesis 3.15. As God is cursing the serpent and talking to Adam and Eve about what's going to happen next. In verse 15, we see the first promise. And we see this now looking back. It's, it's much easier to see. But I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We might overlook this if we're just breezing through this passage but if we look back through Scripture as Jesus calls us to interpret Scripture as revealed on the uh, road to Emmaus, with Jesus being what all Scripture is pointing toward, we see here in Genesis 3.15, we see the promise that one is going to come. And who is it going to come through? Who, who's, who's the promised one going to come through, by the way? It's got, he is the promised one. But it's going to come through a woman. It's going to come through the one who maybe, if people want to point fingers, which isn't our point, but maybe sinned first. Both of us are culpable. If it wasn't Eve, I know it would have been me, so I'm not blaming her. But I think there's something beautiful and value-giving and amazing about God's redemption plan that he, even from Genesis 3.15, promises that it's actually going to be through Eve and her seed that will come. That there will be one. And what's going to happen to him? He's going to have his heel bruised, but he's going to crush the head of the serpent. I think some of us can think uh, maybe that uh, this means like, you know, oh, like I hurt my heel as I was like stomping on the serpent's head. That's not the picture that's given to us here. The picture is actually that a viper, the serpent, one with poisonous fangs, will actually bite the heel of this promised one. And it will seem as though that promised one that's coming is failing as that venom courses through his body and eventually succumbs to death. But this promise that we're given in Genesis 3.15 is that there is one who's going to come. Yes, his heel will be bruised, but the serpent's head will be crushed. And this comes to its ultimate fulfillment, just like Shiloh said a few minutes ago, in Jesus himself, whom is bit by the serpent in many ways. 
as he takes sin upon himself and goes to the cross and he does succumb to death. But what happens next and what we celebrate in Easter is what? Jesus is not dead, but he's, a, he's alive. And as he comes back to life, he puts the enemy to open shame. The seed that will come and who will crush the head of the serpent is Jesus himself. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that our sins are forgiven. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that shalom can be restored in our hearts and lives. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can be victorious over sin and death. I loved those verses that Jimmy opened with us this morning. Oh, death, where is your victory? Because of Jesus, death has no more victory. Jesus does. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can now stand, like we're, we're reminded as we finished 1 Peter last week or two weeks ago, that we can stand and resist the enemy, the evil one. We do not have to be like our ancestors of old, like the old Adam and the old Eve. We are now hidden in the new and true Adam, Jesus Christ. Our job isn't to fight Satan, it's to resist him because Jesus has crushed his head. And he may be scary and he still may be a little bit tricky, but he cannot devour us if we are in Jesus. Remember what God has done in Jesus and what he's doing in your life right now. Last week, we received encouragement from Alex Green during our worship prayer and testimony night. And she was sharing how God had spoken to her through 1 Peter 5.10, where it says, And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's interesting as you read 1 Peter 5.10 and compare it back to the first commission in Genesis 1, there's actually a ton of similarities and God is at work in restoring, redeeming, establishing and strengthening his church for his glory. And all of this is only possible through Jesus, the true seed that was promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Friends, we need to understand that God didn't come up with the idea of sending Jesus as a last resort. That as soon as sin entered the world, God knew that it would come at a great cost to himself. His son, Jesus. As I was preparing this message, I kept trying to think, why does, why does this matter? Sure, this is cool information, great stuff that we need to be reminded of. But where are we going to take these next four Sundays and talk about how the Old Testament pointed towards Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, being the answer to our problems, being the true Messiah? Friends, we're, we're doing it because for so many of us, it's so easy to get distracted for so many of us, it's so easy to lose sight of how amazing and beautiful Jesus is. I was talking with Austin this morning. How amazing, what a blessing it is that we live on this side of the coming of Jesus. What an amazing gift. What an amazing treasure. 
And yet, many of us, many of us, I think, we have a tendency to treat Jesus like a cool trophy or maybe like a bearded dragon um, that on occasion we want to share with people. We think it's cool, but like, it's not something that we think about, that we treasure, that we walk around knowing time and time again. The reality is that God is with us. He promised that he would be our God and we would be his people and he would make his dwelling among us. And friends, I'm being stirred more and more and more to, yes, part of the truth that God is with us. He promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. He promised, Jesus promised that he would be with us to the very end of the age through the indwelling spirit. The question is, are we aware of it? And do we like it? Are we aware of it and pursuing relationship and intimacy with him? These four weeks are leading up to Easter because I believe that God is calling us to cherish, adore, enjoy Jesus to a greater effect. And I hope that the Lord is stirring you. That there are certain things in your hearts that Jesus begins to be overwhelming in a good way that the God who spoke and said let there be light who created the expanse and the seas that the God who spoke all these things to existence that same God humbled himself became a man and took upon flesh in the person of Jesus and willing went to the cross so that you and I and Noah And this entire world might know him. Not just so that we could have our ticket to heaven, but that we might enjoy him each and every day. So my prayer for you and worship team, come on up as we get ready to respond, is that we would grow in cherishing Jesus. That we would grow in cherishing the reality that Jesus dwells in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And would our lives genuinely begin to be altered? Please continue to join us these next four weeks as we continue to look more and more at Jesus. And after that, we're getting into John together uh, as soon as Easter's over. So we're going to talk about him a lot. And that's because that's what this story is all about.